European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 43, Issue 31. Focus Issue, Heart Failure. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The far-reaching beneficial effects of sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors in heart failure. This issue opens with the state-of-the-art review article entitled Critical Appraisal of Artificial Intelligence-Based Prediction Models for Cardiovascular Disease by Martin van Schmeden and colleagues from the University Medical Center Utrecht in the Netherlands. The authors note that the medical field has seen a rapid increase in the development of artificial intelligence, or AI-based prediction models. With the introduction of such AI-based prediction model tools and software in cardiovascular, or CV, patient care, the CV researcher and healthcare professional are challenged to understand the opportunities as well as the limitations of the AI-based predictions. In this article, 12 critical questions for CV health professionals to ask are presented when confronted with an AI-based prediction model. The authors aim to support medical professionals to distinguish the AI-based prediction models that can add value to patient care from the AI that does not. The issue continues with a focus on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathies. The state-of-the-art review article entitled Non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists in cardiorenal disease is authored by Aaron Pandey and colleagues from McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Cardiorenal syndrome characterizes the complex interplay between diseases such as chronic kidney disease, or CKD, and HF, and affects millions of people worldwide. Patients remain at persistently high risk for progression to end-stage disease, even with existing treatments. Despite being launched over eight decades ago and demonstrating substantial mortality benefits in HF over two decades ago, clinical use of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, or MRAs, has been limited by the perceived risk of hyperkalemia and adverse hormonal side effects. The discovery of non-steroidal MRAs represents an important new dimension in the treatment of cardiorenal disease. Similar to their steroidal counterparts, these agents reduce fibrosis, inflammation, dysfunction, and adverse remodeling in the vasculature, kidney, and heart. This review summarizes the mechanisms and clinical evaluation of non-steroidal MRAs, as well as future perspectives on their role in the treatment of cardiorenal disease. Similar to their steroidal counterparts, they have beneficial anti-inflammatory, anti-remodeling and anti-fibrotic properties in the kidney, heart and vasculature. There are several non-steroidal MRAs under development and clinical assessment. Of these, only Asaxerinone and Phenerinone are approved for treatment globally. In Japan, Asaxerinone is approved for essential hypertension and has been studied in diabetic nephropathy. Compared with steroidal MRAs, Phenerinone more potently inhibits MR co-regulator recruitment and fibrosis and distributes more evenly between the heart and kidneys. The landmark Phase three trials Figaro DKD and Fidelio DKD demonstrated that phenerinone reduced major kidney and CV events on top of maximally tolerated renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibition in patients with CKD associated with type 2 diabetes.
Non-steroidal MRAs are currently under evaluation in HF and for synergistic treatment with sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors, or SGLT2Is. These groundbreaking agents could become an important therapy across the spectrum of cardiorenal disease. Anti-interleukin, or IL-1, agents have been developed for the treatment of auto-inflammatory and rheumatic conditions, where overproduction of IL-1 is an important pathophysiological process. IL-1-alpha and IL-1-beta are the most studied members of the IL-1 family of cytokines and have the strongest pro-inflammatory effects. In the state-of-the-art review article, Anti-interleukin-1 agents for pericarditis, a primer for cardiologists, Massimo Imazio and colleagues from the University Hospital Santa Maria della Misericordia in Udine, Italy, indicate that overproduction of both IL-1-alpha, released by inflamed stroke-damaged pericardial cells, and IL-1-beta, released by inflammatory cells, is now a well-recognized therapeutic target in patients with recurrent idiopathic pericarditis. Currently, there are three available anti-IL-1 agents. Anakinra, recombinant human IL-1-RA, Rilonacept, a soluble decoy receptor trap binding both IL-1-alpha and IL-1-beta, and Canakinumab, human monoclonal anti-IL-1-beta antibody. For patients with corticosteroid-dependent and colchicine-resistant recurrent pericarditis with evidence of systemic inflammation, as evidenced by elevated C-reactive protein, the efficacy and safety of anakinra, 2 mg per kilogram per day, up to 100 mg per day subcutaneous, usually for at least 6 months then tapered, and rilonacept, 320 mg subcutaneous for the first day, followed by 160 mg subcutaneous weekly, have been clearly demonstrated in observational studies and randomized controlled clinical trials. Severe side effects are rare and discontinuation rates are very low, less than 4%. Most common reported side effect is injection site reactions, greater than 50% of patients. In this article, Imazio and colleagues describe the historical and pathophysiological background and provide a comprehensive review of these agents, which appear to be the most significant advance in medical therapy of recurrent pericarditis in the last five years. The growing incidence and prevalence of obesity and type 2 diabetes mellitus, or T2DM, is widely recognized as one of the most challenging contemporary threats to global public health. Obesity has a crucial role in the development and progression of T2DM, which in turn is strongly and independently related to the risk of coronary artery disease, HF, stroke, other CV diseases and diabetic kidney disease. Obesity is also an independent risk factor for the development of HF, coronary artery disease, and atrial fibrillation, or AF, as well as kidney disease, in part through its influence on the development and severity of comorbidities such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, and glucose intolerance or diabetes. In a clinical research article entitled Obesity and Effects of Dapagliflozin on Cardiovascular and Renal Outcomes in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus in the Declare-Timmy 58 trial, Azuma Oyama and colleagues from Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, 
investigated the associations between obesity, cardiorenal events, and benefits of dapagliflozin in patients with T2DM. Declare TIMI 58 randomized patients with T2DM and either atherosclerotic CV disease or multiple risk factors to dapagliflozin versus placebo. Patients were stratified by body mass index, BMI kilograms per meter squared, by normal, 18.5 to less than 25, overweight, 25 to less than 30, moderately obese, 30 to less than 35, severely obese, 35 to less than 40, and very severely obese, greater than or equal to 40. Outcomes analysed were CV death, hospitalisation for HF or HHF, renal-specific composite outcome, and AF or flutter or AFL. Of 17,134 patients, 9% had normal BMI, 31.5% were overweight, 32.4% were moderately, 17.2% were severely, and 9.8% were very severely obese. Higher BMI was associated with a higher adjusted risk of HHF and AF stroke AFL, hazard ratio, or HR, 1.30 and 1.28 respectively per 5 kg per meter squared, P being less than 0.001 for all. Dapagliflozin reduced body weight by similar relative amounts consistently across BMI categories. Percentage difference, minus 1.9% to minus 2.4%. Although relative risk reductions in CV and renal-specific composite outcomes with dapagliflozin did not significantly differ across the range of BMI, P for interaction, greater than or equal to 0.20 for all outcomes, Obese patients, BMI greater than or equal to 30 kg per meter squared, tended to derive greater absolute risk reduction in HHF and AF stroke AFL, P for interaction 0.02 and 0.09 respectively, than non-obese patients. Oyama et al. conclude that in Declare TIMI 58, patients with T2DM and higher BMI were more likely to have HHF and AF stroke AFL. Whereas relative risk reductions in CV and renal outcomes with dapagliflozin were generally consistent across the range of BMI, absolute risk reduction in obesity-related outcomes, including HHF and AF stroke AFL, tended to be larger in obese patients. The manuscript is linked to an editorial by Navid Sattar and colleagues from the University of Glasgow in Scotland in the United Kingdom. Sattar and colleagues conclude that the results of this trial and others will help us better determine the value of large-scale weight loss to both prevent and treat HF and related conditions such as AF. Targeting obesity in HEFPEF is of particular interest. Given the large body of evidence suggesting a potential causal role for adiposity in the genesis of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF. However, for the time being, it's reassuring to know that SGLT2Is reduce incident HF risk regardless of baseline BMI, but may do so better in those with higher levels of obesity. The ability of SGLT2Is to prevent and treat HF and CKD in people with and without diabetes truly represents one of the most formidable pharmacological advances of modern medicine. 
post-operative AF, or POAF, is associated with stroke and mortality. It's unknown if POAF is associated with subsequent HHF. In a clinical research article entitled Post-Operative Atrial Fibrillation and Risk of Heart Failure Hospitalization, Arag Goyal and colleagues from the Vial Cornell Medicine in New York, USA, examined the association between POAF and incident HHF among patients undergoing cardiac and non-cardiac surgery. A retrospective cohort study was conducted using all-payer administrative claims data that included all non-federal emergency department visits and acute care hospitalizations across 11 states in the USA. The study population included adults aged at least 18 years hospitalized for surgery without a prior diagnosis of HF. Cox proportional hazard regression models were used to examine the association between POAF and incident HF hospitalization after making adjustment for sociodemographics and comorbid conditions. Among 76,536 patients who underwent cardiac surgery, 14,365, or 18.8%, developed incident POAF. In an adjusted Cox model, POAF was significantly associated with incident HHF, HR 1.33. In a sensitivity analysis, excluding HF within one year of surgery, POAF remained significantly associated with incident HF hospitalization, HR 1.15. Among 2,929,854 patients who underwent non-cardiac surgery, 23,763, or 0.8%, developed incident POAF. In an adjusted Cox model, POAF was again significantly associated with incident HF hospitalization, HR 2.02, including in a sensitivity analysis excluding HF within one year of surgery, HR 1.49. The authors conclude that post-operative AF is associated with incident HHF among patients without prior history of HF undergoing cardiac or non-cardiac surgeries. These findings reinforce the adverse prognostic impact of POAF and suggest that POAF may be a marker for identifying patients with subclinical HF and those at elevated risk for HF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Melissa Middledorp and Christine Albert from the Cedars-Sinai-Schmidt Heart Institute in Los Angeles, California, USA. The authors conclude that having patient-specific data, inclusive of imaging and complete risk factor and comorbidity profiles, may provide the tools needed to evaluate some of the ambiguities that hinder progress on reducing the burden of POAF and its associated adverse outcomes. With a greater understanding of a patient's full risk factor profile, we may advocate for early aggressive intervention at the initial manifestation of POAF to improve outcomes and reduce rehospitalization following cardiac and non-cardiac surgery. Hyperkalemia frequently leads to interruption and discontinuation of neurohormonal antagonists, which may worsen HF prognosis. In a clinical research article entitled 
empagliflozin and serum potassium in heart failure, an analysis from Emperor Pooled. Juo Pedro Ferreira and colleagues from the Faculty of Medicine of the University of Porto in Portugal note that some studies suggested that SGLT2Is reduce hyperkalemia, an effect that may have important clinical implications. This analysis evaluates the effect of empagliflozin on the occurrence of hyper- and hypokalemia in HF. Emperor pooled, i.e. emperor reduced and emperor preserved combined, included 9,583 patients with available serum potassium levels at baseline, 98.6% of the total emperor pooled population, N equaling 9,718. The main outcome was a composite of investigator-reported hyperkalemia or initiation of potassium binders. Patients with high potassium at baseline were more frequently diagnosed with diabetes or ischemic HF etiology and had lower left ventricular ejection fraction and estimated glomerular filtration rate, but were more frequently treated with sacubitral stroke valsartin or MRAs. Empagliflozin, compared with placebo, significantly reduced the composite of investigator-reported hyperkalemia or initiation of potassium binders, 6.5% versus 7.7%, HR 0.82. Empagliflozin reduced hyperkalemia rates regardless of the definition used, serum potassium greater than 5.5 millimoles per litre, 8.6% versus 9.9%, HR 0.85, P equaling 0.017, serum potassium greater than 6.0 millimoles per litre, 1.9% versus 2.9%, HR 0.62, P being less than 0.001. The incidence of hypokalemia, investigator reported, or serum potassium less than 3.0 millimoles per litre, was not significantly increased with empagliflozin. The authors conclude that empagliflozin reduces the incidence of hyperkalemia without a significant increase in hypokalemia. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Subdo Verma and colleagues from the University of Toronto in Canada. The authors conclude that hyperkalemia represents a significant clinical problem amongst patients with HF through its association with clinical endpoints and reduced uptake of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors and MRAs. SGLT2Is have consistently been shown to reduce the risk of this adverse HF outcome, with the latest evidence being provided by Fahera and colleagues' present analysis of the Emperor-Pooled dataset. Emerging therapies, including Patirima, may join SGLT2Is as an important facet in the clinician's armamentarium for managing hyperkalemia in HF. The editors hope that the listeners of this issue of the European Heart Journal will find it of interest.